Good day, everyone. You're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 215. Let's animate life. I'm your host, Alex, and today I have the honor to have Daniel as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Thanks for having me having you on. If that makes any sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds very egotistical. Either way, I'm glad you're here. And today we're going to be talking about your hobby of being an indie animator. But before we do that, who is Daniel? Well, I'm, I'm a father, husband, producer, director, writer, voice actor, and animator in pretty much that order. <laughs> I've won uh, multiple awards for uh, my animated shorts, uh, Nightwalkers and Love is Magic. And my current short, The Misadventures of Snuggle Bunny, is wrapping up the festival run. Ooh, and I saw some of your animations, and it's really good. It's very captivating as well. And the voice acting. So you did some of the voice acting in there as well? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. That's awesome. Uh, and, okay, I have way too many questions. Way too many questions. I got to have some order. Uh, before we jump into my madness of questions, do you have any social media links, websites, or projects you're working on that you would love to share, like you just mentioned? Um, <laughs> I do have a, a project that happens to be on Amazon right now. It's free for Amazon Prime members. It's uh, Love is Magic. Uh, it's a, a comedy about a magician who comes home to find that his uh, assistant is uh, having. Uh, having some fun with a street magician so uh comedic uh shenanigans and magic ensues that's perfect i'll put that down below so people can go check that out and be entertained (laughs) (laughs) and now speaking about entertainment today for this moment you are the moment of entertainment for everybody listening so how did you get introduced to animation well um, like most people my age, uh, I was uh, fascinated by Saturday morning TVs um, and uh, all of the cartoons that played, especially some of the uh, you know, for some of the older viewers, they will remember Funimation and uh, a lot of the things they did. They back in the uh, way early 80s, they would adapt uh, science fiction and TV shows that were already popular at the time. Things like Tarzan, uh, Flash Gordon. Um, Star Trek even, and they had this real stilted kind of limited animation where it would look like a picture and just the mouth was moving. But it really wasn't about that as much as it was the stories that they would tell and be able to capture the feeling of the properties that they were emulating. So that really got me started in looking into it. And do you remember the first creation you've ever done? And do you still have it? Oh, my goodness. Um, The first thing that uh, I started on, I actually completed not too long ago. It was uh, Nightwalkers. Early on in my uh, uh, filmmaking career, I decided I wanted to do an animation. And I did this really dark horror story. And I had uh, my acting friends. Uh, come over to the house, and we recorded all of the dialogue. And that was before my first son was born. So I started working on it way back then. And then I stopped because, uh, uh, of course, family takes priority over everything else. And it took uh, almost 10 years to complete uh, working part-time on the uh, animation part. But the uh, dialogue and was all done. Uh, years before, and I was able to uh, keep the files, the audio files, and, and use those and uh, get them going. And uh, once once we released it, it, uh, it, it did fairly well. 
in the uh, indie circuit. So it won a, a couple of awards. Well, that's awesome. And it, I guess it has me wondering as well. When you created this whole story, did you do the story first and then come up with the idea of the animation and how you wanted to do it? Or you had the animation idea first and worked on that and then did the script? Well, the uh, the the idea was to, to go ahead and do an animation because uh, I'd, I'd always been an artist and I'd always wanted to do go ahead and buckle down and, and do the animation. Uh, so the idea for doing the animation came first, and then I developed the story around, uh, who do I know? How many characters can we put together? Uh, uh what are the limitations I have in, in voice report? Um, right about that time, you've got, uh, everybody going into digital animation. So the computer now becomes uh, a more important uh, factor in making the animation rather than, uh, uh, doing everything in, in cell animation. So it, it makes it a lot easier to uh, render the drawing out, uh, get the sketches and turn them into the final final images, and then uh, um, to uh, basically create the video out of it. Um, normally what you would do is you would, uh, you would storyboard the whole thing, create your animatic, you would um, then uh, time out that animatic, make your audio recording and then turn that over to the animators and the animator would basically create a, what's called an X sheet, which is like a spreadsheet that would break down frame by frame, second by second, what actions need to be where so that it comes out perfectly timed when they uh, photograph every single frame one at a time. That's no longer a necessity if you're working just by yourself like I am. So I can just listen to the audio, stick it into the program that I use. I can see the audio graphed across the screen like it's, um, what do you call those, those visualizers, those audio visualizers. Mm -hmm. So you can see where everything is. And then some of the programs have uh, little filters and things that allow you to uh, time in or lip sync the, uh, the animation. So that becomes a, a, a whole lot easier. And I can also imagine within a 10 year span of creating your first project, you've gathered some skills and you learned some new techniques, some new tools. And it might be really hard to say, but out of those new techniques and tools you've learned along the way of your journey of animation, which one is your favorite? Like a game changer? Like, oh my goodness, I love this feature. Uh, I think the, the, the lip syncing part is probably the best feature right there. You basically draw the different vowels and consonants that are related to the different parts of the speech. You have your A, E, I, O, U, the vowels, and then the consonants. And once you have those uh, lip movements uh, outlined or sketched out, then it's just a matter of uh, switching between them. And the computer can do that for you. It's not 100%, but it really saves you time because all you have to do is go in and tweak it. Just like uh, um, the uh, the 2D animation works a lot like 3D animation does now, where it used to be that um, in 3D animation, you would have the computer artist move different bones in the 3D figure so that it would uh, go where it wants to go. Now you've got motion capture, and the motion capture does it all for you, and then you yourself just have to tweak it here and there to make sure that everything uh, aligns properly. Again, it's it, it's still kind of tedious. It still takes a lot of time, but it's 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 a game changer to have 
the ability to automate a lot of the different things. And like when I go online on YouTube, I see a bunch of like videos of like you can do so many new things with your phone and get some like some motion caption and stuff like that. The technology for animation is just increasing so fast that there's new tools and a lot of it is free as well, which I can imagine is just like a kid in a candy shop. You're like, oh my goodness, what do I want to try next? And actually, speaking of which, what is the next tool that you'd like to or feature you'd like to master or like, I don't know, just want to pick up? Um, I think I would like to pick up 3D because I think it would help out with the backgrounds. Um, you see a lot of the new projects on the animated projects on, on Netflix, and you you see that they use 3D to uh, create the backgrounds uh, for the characters. So moving into 3D from 2D, or what they call sometimes uh, 2.5D, where they have 3D elements inside of the 2D. That's probably uh, where I'd like to go. So I'm, I'm also taking a look at uh, the program Blender, which is also free, and uh, it's it's all it's gotten some some updates. So I'm you know going to take some time here in the next month or two and take a look and see what I can learn. I remember I think one of the most recent movies I uh, animation movies I've watched where they did the 2.5D was Dragon Ball. It's, I think it was the Broly one where they did kind of like a 3d animation with a 2d and it's it's if it's done right it looks amazing and i i applaud anybody who takes a challenge at it because i've always been interested in it it's just like wow just the you have to think on like a 3d scale as well so it's pretty it's pretty impressive and of course we're talking about about all these programs but we forgot to ask or we i forgot to ask you what program are you currently using to create your projects it's moho animation software pro 13 i think it's what it's called and um, they were originally uh, put together. This this program was put together by uh, uh, Lost Marble Studios because they were they created it for themselves. And then it got bought by Smith Micro, who managed it for a while. And just recently, uh, Lost Marble bought it back from them, and they've been uh, making advances in it. So. I, I got it because it was a really, really affordable alternative to something like the industry standard Toon Boom, which is a, a subscription service, which, you know, if uh, if that's if, if you can afford that, that's fantastic. <laughs> it is the industry standard. Uh, but uh, with with Moho, it's not a uh, subscription. It's basically uh, you purchase it and then, you know. The, you've got it. You don't have to upgrade it if you don't want to. If uh, they come up with something new or, or a different version of it, uh, then you know you can upgrade it for less than you less than you would pay for the Adobe Suite for the year. So, man, I miss those days where you just pay once and then you own it. And then nowadays everything is subscription based. You, <laughs> everything, literally everything. And she's like, "Am I going to eat this month? No, no, I need to." Have a subscription to <laughs> Clock Magazine. No, no. <laughs> I'm not making fun of Clock Magazine if that's a thing. I'm just saying that everything is on the subscription base. But either way, moving along from that, we talked about what tools you use, but we haven't really touched what's your what is your style? What kind of how? Yeah, how would you describe your style? I would uh, describe it as kind of a loose style. Um, it's not uh, what people would call. It, it, it's not like any style that you would see uh, on TV right now, specifically, and it's not as uh, 
it's not as detailed as some of the inspirations I, I, I watched when I was growing up. Um, but, uh, when you, when you're inspired by people like, uh, Ralph Bakshi and Alex Toth and the stuff that they did with Hanna-Barbera, uh, you kind of give yourself a little bit more freedom to play with, uh, the proportions. So, uh, you know, it's, it's very, very loose. And within that looseness, weird way of saying that, within that looseness, looseness, how do you come up with the inspiration to create a new project? Well, the uh, the inspirations can come from just about anywhere. A lot of things, uh, um, you know, sometimes you can get ideas from the news. Um, things just don't make sense. Or in the case of the current project I'm, I'm working on right now, I, I sent you a link to it earlier. Um, the uh, Kidwise, it's based on a book that I wrote uh, some years ago, and uh, which that book is uh, a picture book for kids, and it's based uh, loosely on uh, the misadventures of my boys. And I say loosely because they don't quite act the way it's, uh, they're not as adventurous as the characters in the book, but uh, they enjoyed seeing them, uh, facsimiles of themselves uh, in print. So I'm now taking it, I'm now taking that and the whole idea and putting it together into a, a 20 minute short film. Oh, nice. Well, once it comes out, hopefully this episode is out and then we can just add it in the show notes. So it'd be more promotion for you, <laughs> just promoting the hell out of you. And as, as an animator, I feel like when you're watching, let's say TV shows or movies with animation in them, you have, you come at it like a different perspective. So like, for example, I'm a producer. When I listen to music, I like to like break down every little instrument to just figure out how it's done. So I feel like the same for you. So on with that in mind, what animated TV show or movie you're like, wow, I am truly impressed by what they did or I just love it. Well, real early on, um, I was really, really impressed with uh, Don Bluth's The Secret of Nim. Uh, and one of the things I took from him was his use of, uh, of color for expression and the idea that uh, a growing intensity in the action would be foreshadowed by the changing of the colors in the background. So you would have a, a, a dangerous situation uh, with the main character and everything around it would, would turn red uh, to show the danger of the situation and intensify that. And then once everything calmed down and, and the main characters were safe, uh, it would come back down to a calming blue tones uh, to help reassure the viewers that um, everything was going to be fine. So there's a, a shorthand that comes with uh, color theory. Um, you can place uh, uh, purples and golds on characters to make them a little more regal. You, you automatically uh, feel that there's you know, royalty in front of you or that there's somebody of stature when you see those colors together. Uh, so the the idea behind that, when I saw that, um, it was just really, really just uh, astounding because I never picked it up right away. I just knew that this was an intense scene. And to, to hear him talk about the, the different uh, color values and hues and saturations and what they meant uh, when they created that, and how much detail they went into looking into to to combining these colors. It was just fascinating. And speaking of colors, perfect segue. Thank you so much, Daniel. What are the colors that you prefer to use for your own animation? Well, um, always, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. <laughs> in, 
in Nightwalkers, I, I use the same technique. Um, there are creatures in the film, uh, the short film Nightwalkers, the animated uh, short that I had done. And when they show up, I do the exact same thing. I, I coat everything in red and the moon is blood red. And uh, I also bring bring chaos in by knocking out the lights. Most of the characters are silhouetted to give you that sense of uh, fear and dread. So it's, it's, it's almost just black and white, but it's red and black uh, during the action sequences. And there's a, there, there's some gunfire going on and when the gunfire comes on. You can see the colors of the characters, uh, a, a, a little throwback or a little homage to uh, the, the movie alien where you would fight uh, where you found them fighting the alien and you would only see it in glimpses and flashes as the gunfire was going on. So, you know, I, I, I used a little Don, uh, a little bit of Don Blue's trickery there uh, to create a sense of mood and dread at that point. It actually kind of reminds me, I don't know if you've seen the new love death robot series or volume three on Netflix. There is one episode called Jibato, which is the best way I could explain it, it is an it's animated. It is beautifully horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it's you really have to see. There's there's an element about the color and the animation style. It has this uncanny valley a little bit to it, and it's eerie. But I feel like in terms of colors and the way they use it, it's kind of up your alley. <laughs> I saw the first uh, uh, season. Uh, I have yet to catch up on the, uh, the, the this next season. But I was really impressed with uh, what they did in mixing live action and animation and using 2D, 3D, 2.5D, different styles. You come into it thinking about it as an animated show, but then you are caught off guard by what all could be considered animation. Like, I, I think back to the, uh, the the new Lion King that they did, the quote-unquote live or live action version of, of the Lion King. And that was all computer generated. It was animation. It was still animation, but they were calling it live action. So. It's a, it's animation. <laughs> if you if you call it animation, you are my animating animating Adam Adam. Oh my goodness, I can't even say the word anymore. Animator <laughs> Pro. There you go on this show. When I watched the, it was like the Love Deaf Robot. It really made me like appreciate that animation can come in all shapes and forms, and they can tell a beautiful story even in a short period of time. And I and it's like when I was oh, when you said you're an animator, I was so excited because. I was excited to not just see your animation, but the stories you bring along with it and the colors you use and stuff like that. So you got me hyped. I cannot do animation, but I truly appreciate it. I love anime. I love cartoons. But yeah, you're speaking to a guy who's very passionate about it, who knows nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, while we're on the topic of knowing about it, where do you usually go to learn new techniques for your animation? Well, um, I go where everybody else goes these days. I go on to YouTube. <laughs> and uh and there, there are tutorials by uh, 12 year olds that, that are amazing and youtube is great for that people will share uh, different types of advice different techniques um just uh just the other week i went on there to learn how to make a head rotate as if it was in 3d but you're still using the uh the moho program it, which is 2d to make it happen so I, I put that to good use uh, here recently. 
but yeah, a lot of times, uh, depending on, uh, the, uh, the, the program, there are really good, uh, communities and forums that answer questions that, uh, people will have uh, commonly. You know, sometimes there's a, a workaround for an issue that hasn't been addressed yet by the, uh, by the programmers. So yeah, YouTube's your friend. Um, there's a community for whatever program, uh, that you decided you're going to use. Uh, they're your friends. Um, Sometimes you can find a, a group on Facebook where uh, people will encourage you and, and help you out. And I'll give you an example. One of the one of the things I, I have issues with is is fluidity in frame by frame animation, where you're drawing each picture one at a time. And there's there, there's an entire community on Facebook that uh, talks about the different techniques that are used in in hand drawn 2D animation. So they 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 teach you things like uh, uh, squash and stretch. Basically, if there's a bouncing ball, if you if the ball hits the ground, it's going to compress on top, but it's going to extend on the sides. And doing that really sells the uh, uh, the weight and the pressure of the movement. And these are things you really don't think about. I mean, you could tell the computer uh, to. Uh, uh, do this bounce and it'll do the bounce, but it won't take anything else into consideration other, other than the act of bouncing. So you can go back in and you can tweak it on those particular frames so that it looks more like what you're used to seeing, you know, from the, uh, from the true masters of animation. I feel like that is one of the biggest challenges as well. I could be wrong, but the feel of putting down weight onto something like the element of gravity, like if you see an elephant walk, to just have that feeling of the impact. It was like, okay, that feels like an actual elephant walking instead of just a cloud walking. And I feel that's a challenge for a lot of animators, but there's also a lot of different other challenges. So for you, what is your biggest challenge these days when it comes to animation? Um, that's still my biggest issue is, is the fluidity and the weight. I don't know if you've ever seen the, uh, the Disney's Jungle Book. The, the original one, uh, you have the, uh, the Bear Baloo He's singing and he's dancing at the same time. And while he's walking, he's also uh, hop skipping while he's dancing. And you've got several things happening uh, that are on different timings. His bottom is going up and down faster than his feet are walking. And then his mouth is moving while keeping pace with the talking. And all of that. Um, was done one drawing at a time. It's just, it's, it's incredible. It's mind blowing to me how fluid the old masters were able to do that. Uh, what, what Disney used to call the, uh, uh, what do they call them? The old nine or something like that. That's, I, I couldn't do that. I could barely get the walking going. <laughs> so, uh, to, but to have the dance in there as well. Uh, I just recently, I, in, in the, uh, I don't know if you uh, saw it, but in the, uh, in the link that I had shared with you earlier, the clip of the uh, the program that I'm working on right now, I had uh, the youngest child flossing while holding a remote control. And that took me uh, several days just for six second loop of dancing. And I was I was done with that. I worked real hard on it and I got the hands to go back and in front and then back again. And while he's moving, his swinging his hips and everything. And then I realized I didn't put the remote control in his hand. So I had to <laughs> go back in and add that manually one frame at a time to fit that in there. 
but uh, I think I hit it a little bit with the camera in the scene that I shared with you. <laughs> yeah, it looked it looked very fluid. It looked well made for me. So Thank you. you get my approval. There you go. Well, that's <laughs> if what it's I was worth anything, <laughs> if it's worth anything, yeah. <laughs> and when you do work on these projects, because you know everybody has their strong points and weak points, do you prefer to work alone and try to figure out eventually, or do you like working with other people? Well, I, I'd love to work with other people. I just can't afford to right now. So, um, one of the reasons I, uh, I did go to animation was uh, I was having a hard time as a filmmaker. Uh, finding the funds to make the films the way I wanted to make them. And so it just, uh, it, it seemed like a no brainer to me to uh, switch to animation so that uh, I wouldn't have to have the cameraman. I wouldn't have to have uh, stunt people. I wouldn't have to have uh, uh, wardrobe people or anything else, gaffers, paper, all these other things. And uh, with the animation, uh, if you're just one person, like I am, you're in control of everything. And it comes out exactly uh, it, it, the way you do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, no, exactly. You know, you, you're never really truly happy with your work as an artist. <laughs> you just kind of have a stopping point. So, uh, you know, you, you get to a point where you're like, all right, that's good enough. You're going to have to move on. So I've asked this question to a lot of other artists as well. And as a creator myself, I went through this. Are you the type of person when you're doing a creation, you will find the smallest details that nobody else will ever notice, but you're like, ah, they're going to notice it. I, I don't like that. What is that? People are going to notice it. And you show it to somebody like, what are you talking about? I, it seems fine. Like, no, no, but don't you notice this one little pixel right there? Like, no, Alex, no, there's nothing. It's normal. In the original <laughs> uh, uh, Star Wars series, the, the, the second movie, Empire Strikes Back, there's a matted scene in this big, humongous starfighter fight where one TIE fighter wasn't put into the shot. And so there's a big hole where it should have been in one of the ships because it was supposed to come in front of the, uh, the uh, Millennium Falcon. And it just, there's just this blank shot where you could see the uh, other spaceships flying behind them because they, they failed to put that in. Yeah, I, I can get caught up in, in the little, uh, details of things and you do there, there's always going to be something that you have to, to walk away from that you never quite get exactly the way you want to but um the goal of anything is is to finish it you can always uh do what george lucas does and come back and, and fix it later <laughs> yeah exactly you know just and then you learn from your i wouldn't call them mistakes but you learn from your experience and you improve next time yes yes exactly and this might be a little hard to answer but what is something that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started animation? Because I, I, you know, I'm learning every day and with each project, uh, the work improves. I guess the one thing I, you know, if I could talk to myself as don't is would be to tell myself not to be so hard on myself on judging the work that I've completed because it's just going to get better. So it was a pretty good lesson to learn. Yeah. Just if we can only invent time travel and just go back to ourselves, like you got this, just a word of encouragement <laughs> to ourselves. <laughs> and uh, this also might be a little dark question as well, but what are some misconceptions about people who do animation? That uh, the computer does a lot of the stuff and that uh, it's not as much of uh, an art anymore. You know, I, I look at things like uh, what they have on Cartoon Network and the, diff- the, the new style. And it's 
it's it's it wouldn't be my favorite style, but I wouldn't call it lazy. But uh, some people might. I mean, you, you look at how they did the uh, what was it? They was you had Thundercats, and then they did a new version of it called Thundercats Roar, and they had what um, is commonly referred to as the Cal Art style, uh, California Art School, or something like that. I'm not too sure, but. Um, the idea is that uh, all of these cartoons now kind of look the same. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that uh, we've moved on to uh, different equipment. Uh, it's more like puppeteering when you're using uh, an animation program more than it is animating. There are still some uh, animation programs out there that help you do the ink and paint process where you still manually do the uh, um, animation uh, frame by frame and scan it in. But um, a lot of the things like uh, the new Looney Tunes that are on the uh, HBO Max, those are all done with, uh, with Toon Boom, which uh, allows you to rig a character model in the same way that uh, the 3D uh, artists would rig a character model. And that in itself helps dictate how the animation is going to look. And so it's, it's a different process, but it's not... Uh, a lesser process and it's not a style that's meant for me because i'm not a kid um, the kids these days have a, a different kind of process they, they they watch much shorter things than, than we used to as kids i was okay to sit down for a half hour to watch a tv show kids are watching things on tiktok seconds at a time so it doesn't need to be you know if, if you're gonna draw 30 frames per second and and try to animate something for uh, uh, 60 seconds to, to put on TikTok, um, you're going to use a device that's going to help you, and that's going to that's make it look a certain way uh, if you're not doing it a certain way. Uh, so I, I think the misconceptions might be is that uh, uh, they're taking it easy, but they're not because there's a learning curve and there's new, new ways of doing things and, and new protocols. And um, I think uh, there's... It, it just hasn't yet found its stride in how it's going to uh, wow people like the 3D animation, uh, uh, Love, Death and Robots, the 3D animation there, just it, it takes your breath away um, because they've come so far from where uh, Pixar started, uh, you know, some 30 years ago, 40 years ago. So uh, just the idea that um, it's quick and easy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh no! Is, you're telling I, me there's not would, a button you can just press and it's done? What? Oh, no, I think in some cases there are. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so was, was it, that was easy button. <laughs> remember that? Yes, I, I do remember that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? This this I wouldn't call it a controversy, but it's always a debate when it comes to animation itself in terms of Western animation, not versus, but also Japanese animation and how they have different approaches to them. So I'm not asking you which one's better, but what is your take on, because I'm sure you've seen a little bit of both to get a general feel. What's your take on those types of uh, animations? Um, I think one can learn from the other. And and I think they have. Back back in the early 80s, a lot of the brand new uh, animations that, that came on the scene were done in the 70s in Japan, but nobody knew it. They just knew they were watching uh, Battle of the Planets and Voltron and, and things of that nature. They had no idea that they had had a life 10 years before uh, overseas 
with uh, with toys and model kits and everything else, and we're just getting their second wind in the United States. Uh, so for for people to think that uh, one is one is far superior because it was made local is is really a misconception because they were stealing ideas left and right. Uh, you look at the Lion King, and then you go back and you look at something. Uh, what was it, uh, Kimba, the yeah. brave lion? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's some inspiration <laughs> there, definitely some inspiration. So uh, they they've got a lot to learn from each other, and I think each one has its own values, and and there's definitely plenty to praise on both sides. And you know what? I'm kind of happy that to have you on, first of all, but I'm happy that animation is getting a bigger resurfacing like any type of like animation cartoons anime all that is just getting a new life thanks to the internet and just people sharing it and then more people are getting more and more interested in it and it may even inspire people to get into it and maybe have you to work with there you go finding a potential (laughs) new person to work with (laughs) that would be fantastic and it actually reminds me because you're talking about the 80s and 70s a little a little segue i remember there's this anime movie called akira which was apparently groundbreaking for its time because it was the first animation that actually used facial expressions. Because before then, it was just not very facial expression in the animations, but that one, and it was a dark and gritty one as well. It was kind of like a Neo Tokyo and like an alien. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm going off topic. Either way, great movie. Today, it's not about that movie. It's about Daniel. Daniel, for you. <laughs> well, I, actually, I love that movie. Um, I I saw it at a convention. Uh, I I have done tons of things in my life, including uh, comic books. I was at a comic book convention when I first saw Akira, and it was a uh, bootleg that they were showing. <laughs> uh, it was bootlegged off of the laser disc uh, from Japan, so it, it's it did not have subtitles or anything else. So, uh, but to to see that. It was just awe-inspiring. They did some things that normally people wouldn't do. Animation in, in the United States was working on 24 frames per second. In Japan, they were doing uh, 12 frames per second because they were getting far much more work out. So they would just shoot one frame twice and move on to the next frame uh, to get the 24 frames. But in Akira, they jumped between different frame rates for the different scenes if you saw the, uh, the car chases and the uh, those were done at 24 frames when they were walking down the streets and 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 just talking with each other those were done at 12 uh, frames per second and the, uh, uh, the the car crashes that were done in slow motion they were done what they call on the ones so every single frame was a different photograph as opposed to being pictured twice because even when you're shooting 24 frames per second you were still shooting two frames uh, to get across. So that made it, yeah, that made it more lifelike and it gave them the ability to, again, carry the weight in the, uh, in the, in the characters and in the models. The, the, and they didn't do any rotoscoping at all. They did everything just from the artist's inference on what, what it would be like. So yeah, it's, it's very incredible. I love how all this is like 
it comes back to how it made you who you are today with your know-how, your skills, and everything you love about animation. It's it's cool to just ref- reflect on somebody else's journey. Yeah, I'm reflecting on your journey. <laughs> yeah, that's weird saying that. And speaking about reflection, what has animation taught you in life? Um, well, the act of animation, the, the process of doing it has taught me patience um, because it takes so long from the inception of the idea to the final product that you share when it comes to uh, film festivals or, or putting it online and streaming or, or what have you. It's a very long journey and uh, you, you kind of have to commit to it and you got to be got to be willing to stay the course. So uh, definitely patience is uh, something that animation has taught me. Yeah, especially since you had a project that took you 10 years to create. Patience, you are a very patient individual. I applaud you for that. And it also has me wondering, when you, within that, let's say, 10 years or any other project you're working on, when you have a sense of inspiration either to create the animation itself or work on the story, what do you do in that situation? Do you drop everything and go write it down or go an- like animate it right away? What is your thought process when these inspiration hits you? <laughs> well, what I do is uh, when the inspiration hits me and I get an idea for a story, something that I really, truly want to do, I will send my wife an email. <laughs> nice. So then she'll print it out and then she'll tape it next to my desk and it'll sit there for uh, a couple of years until I finally get to it. <laughs> <laughs> I could just see her printing it in big bold letters to like use up all the ink in the printer for it. <laughs> just to say, hey, Daniel, you really got to work on this idea. Your whole room is just covered in ideas. It's your idea room there. <laughs> and uh, for anybody who might be interested in this hobby, do you have any word of advice for them? Oh, um, yeah, stick to it. It's uh it's really a daunting task when uh, you get into uh, 2D animation or 3D animation because there's there's a lot to it. Uh, 3D animation, there's there's coding that's involved. There's programs. Uh, some of them are far more expensive than others. When you uh, when you work on several pictures in a row and it kind of comes out not exactly the way you want to, and you know you have to add a few more frames here and there, or take out a frame here or there, and and basically you're deleting something you worked hours on <laughs> just to make something else work it it can be kind of um, it can it can weigh heavy on you so just you know stick with it learn from others because uh, I, I when I made uh, nightwalkers there were several uh, things that I did I wouldn't say incorrectly but uh, there were shorter ways to, to do them <laughs> and reach out to uh, reach out to a group a forum Facebook group and um, see there's plenty of people out there who are willing to share what they know and um, help you uh, reach your goal. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, but save, save, save. Do not forget to save. Yes. (laughs) One time I wanted to put on a shirt, Jesus saves and saves often. (laughs) (laughs) You just see Jesus with a bunch of hard drives and SSDs. (laughs) Has that ever happened to you that you lost any projects due to, I don't know, corrupted files or anything like that? Oh, yes. 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 I have. I've lost entire sequences, uh, original files, and I've had to redo some certain things um, over and over again. Here in Texas, um, 
you may you may have heard that uh, we like uh, playing around with our electricity. Sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. <laughs> uh, so just recently, that's that started to happen here, which is you know fantastic. But uh, I could be working on a project, and then the power goes out, and if I didn't have my battery backup, then I would uh, I would be in a great deal of trouble. So yeah, saving and the battery backup so that you can uh, save your work and exit out whenever uh, there are times of trouble. Definitely, that's a good rule of thumb. And just to go a little deeper on that, how many places do you save? Do you use hard drives or you save it in the cloud, SSD, a thousand floppy disks? I, I don't. <laughs> I've got. Uh, <laughs> I've got multiple hard drives that I have uh, the work backed up on, and uh, I also save it on the uh, computer hard drive as well for for expediency's sake. It, it works quicker if uh, I'm working on a file there, and then I'll transfer it to the hard drive for safekeeping, and then I'll back that hard drive up too as well. So no floppy disk, right? Um, no, not for a while. <laughs> I don't think that trend's coming back anytime soon. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it's a shame because I've got several projects that I've forgotten about that are on floppy disks. So, well, I'm sure you could probably find <laughs> a, like a floppy disk to USB converter. I'm sure, I'm sure that exists, right? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon has everything. This episode sponsored by Amazon. No, it's not, but it would be great if it was. Uh, either way, back to the animation aspect itself. I've asked this question at the beginning of the episode, but I'll ask it again just to give some more love. Do you have any social media links, websites, or projects you're working on that you would love to share with the listeners? Sure. Uh, RosalesEntertainment.com is uh, the website where you can see uh, stories about all of the uh, animations that I uh, have available right now for people. Uh, some trailers are there for the ones that are still haven't been released into the wild and uh, information about the awards that some of the others have won. And um, you can see, you can find uh, uh, Love is Magic on Amazon Prime, which uh, if you're a Prime member, it's it's free to watch. And um, yeah, I think that's about it right now for animation. Perfect. I'll put that down below and congratulations on the awards. So people can go check out your animation and support you. Yes. Yes. Uh, watch the short on Amazon. You'll enjoy it. And it helps out if you leave a review. They have to leave a review. Since they're listening <laughs> to this podcast, I make it mandatory. Whenever a guest is being modest, like, oh, well, you can go leave a room. Like, no, you have to. Or else <laughs> I'll get very upset. Yeah. You don't want to see me when I'm upset. I'll go sit in a corner and cry. Okay. You don't want that. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Get the whole corner wet. Yeah. Ruin the whole corner. Either way, uh, <laughs> away from the corner, nobody puts Alex in the corner. Uh, the last question, do you have any questions for me about animation? Um, are, are there any uh, animated shows that you enjoy? Uh, well, I weirdly saying this, I am proud of myself. I am currently all caught up in One Piece, which has over 1,000, over 1,000 episodes and i caught up in the manga as well i I love manga and japanese anime and getting into korean manhwas uh cartoons is in western cartoons um what was it that there's one of the superheroes uh injustice that was uh i i guess for me kind of like your style i like the more adult themed ones like the ones that are like oh it's a kid's cartoon it looks beautiful but then like oh my goodness it's 
a little darker and i'm not talking about like sexual or anything like that i mean more like mature content is like i don't even know how to explain it it's well more great you know, you, <laughs> yeah uh warner animation has always done uh, a fine job of uh walking that line that comic books do and presenting uh more uh like you said grown-up uh tales uh while still you know keeping the uh, superhero genre or whatever what have you and uh They've, they've always done a great job of adapting their books and their stories and, and uh, bringing that animation to life. Uh, Injustice, it was great. <laughs> it kind of reminds me because I remember when I was growing up, I used to love a show called uh, Teen Titans. So they had it was a more gritty one, more dark one. And I think I saw a video today just talking about how one of the episodes was talking about Robin with PTSD and they just tackled it very well. And it was just more dark. I I'm not a fan of the new Teen Titans is a, a very style is not my not my not my cup of tea. I can see it can be appealing to certain people, but I guess it's that nostalgia for me that as well that like, oh, OK, I grew up with this kind of gritty. I also remember like bikers, biker mice from Mars or the shark uh, on rollerblades. I forget what it was. Street sharks and uh, yes, street sharks. Yeah, <laughs> there's like all these things. I, I guess I like the. The more dark and gritty animation style. That's that's my style. I like. Yes, yeah, and and um, I, I I think what they had uh, assumed was that the uh, Teen Titans fans had aged out, and uh, when they came up with Teen Titans Go, they were definitely going after a younger audience. Same thing going with the uh, Thundercats uh, Roar, definitely skewing younger, uh, and not bring not going for the classic. Uh, audience. So when, when I say classic, I mean the people that watched them were kids at the time. <laughs> now they're, yeah. they're, they're the grandparents or what? what <laughs> the grandparents of um, animation. <laughs> it's really hard to be able to find your market and and go after the uh, the, the audience that you're looking for. Um, they had a Netflix had a hard time with their uh, He-Man animation reboot. Uh, because they marketed it as if they were going for the classic audience and the subject matter was more modern. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but they should have let that audience know that their, um, yeah, specifically like the She-Ra audience, the, the previous She-Ra incarnation, this was the audience that the new He-Man was going after or should have been marketed to, but it wasn't. And so you had people disappointed uh, that it wasn't what they expected. You kind of have a covenant when you have uh, a property. There's, there's, there's a covenant that, that says you are going to be presenting this. Uh, you're not going to be teaching the ABCs with Dirty Harry. <laughs> so uh, you kind of have to put a gun in there. Um, so if you're going to go for a, a different audience, you need to make sure that that audience understands, hey, it's safe to come over here and watch this. This is going to be empowering for you. This is going to be, this is going to deliver on so many different levels. We're going to have uh, expansions on these other characters that were not uh, the main focus initially. It's going to be a great show. It's well done and you're going to be happy. Uh, but they kind of didn't do that. They, they, they sold it the wrong way. And now you made my 
had spiraled into a series, not a series of questions, but just a rabbit hole <laughs> of animation. And, you know, nowadays you see a lot of animations coming back to life. They're revi- re- re-aliving, I guess, animated animated shows that were extinct, for example, for a while, like He-Man. So we hear a lot about like, oh, they didn't do it justice. They don't look good. On the flip side, what animated series or show or movie that you said it was good back then, but they actually made it even better now? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't think they've done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a tough one. Yeah, yeah. It's like one of those things. It's it's hard to like tackle a classic. It, it's it's really unfair to uh, compare what's done now with what was done then. Because society has changed, societal norms have changed, uh, standards have changed, the audience has changed. I remember on on Twitter, there was uh, a feud about Steve Martin, and he was they somebody had brought up his King Tut song uh, video that he had done on Saturday Night Live, and everybody, were, you know, the the today's audience. I guess the younger generation would say that's cultural uh, appropriation. It's racism. Uh, he's making fun of things that he shouldn't be making fun of. It's cultures and this and that. And I don't see anything funny in that. And I think to myself, well, first of all, you're right, but those are today's standards. And yesterday's standards were a lot different. And for people who watched it then, you can hear the laughter. Yes, it was funny. Would it be appropriate to do that now? Probably not. But it was appropriate then, and it was funny then. And we really shouldn't demonize people for the things that they enjoyed when the standards were completely different. Yeah, hopefully it changed change for the better, right? <laughs> I would like to see some things done again that maybe, uh, maybe a different uh, space ghost would be fun to see. Uh, but they, they they did that in the '90s, and they made it comedy, and they did something different with it that uh, that everybody enjoyed then. So, you know, uh, I'd, I'd rather see him bl- blasting beams out of his fists, you know, and flying uh, flying through space, and fighting aliens. But uh, a talk show, sure, that, that'll work too. And I swear this will be the last question. You see, you, you trigger my curiosity in a good way. Damn you, Daniel! Thank you. Let's see, is a double double. Like, ah, I love that you're triggering my curiosity. So for your past projects that you have done, I'm not, and not necessarily living up to today's standards, but is there any of your old projects that you look at as like, huh, I wonder how I would do it in a different direction. Same like style, not same style, but like same story, but just using different techniques. Did you ever try to redo a project just to see how it would look in a different version? I I think uh, if you, um, if you were to see the, uh, the Nightwalkers short, you would see an evolution of an art style from the beginning of the cartoon to the end of the cartoon because I had taken a break in between starting it and finishing it. And one thing I did not do was go back and redo what they started um, because I didn't want to take that much longer either. So, no, I think I think if anything, I may continue a story. I may Ooh. do a, a sequel to the uh, Nightwalkers and, and see where the story goes from there. Um, take the characters and and move them forward and, and see what happens next. Okay, last question. I swear, last question. Uh, <laughs> if you were to do a sequel of is existing story, would you keep the animation style the same or would you try to improve it? 
Um, I would probably try to improve it, uh, take advantage of some of the things. Uh, hopefully by that time I will have uh, learned a little bit of the 3D animation and I can do water a whole lot better because water is very hard to do. You know when I said the last question? Yeah, I lied. I lied. <laughs> this is the last question. Last for sure. I okay. swear on all the hair on my head. I have none. Okay. So for water, which animation <laughs> that you, you think perfected water in your type of style that what you want to achieve for your work? Oh, uh, you'd have to go back to uh, Tarzan by Funimation. The water that rolled by uh, while he was swimming was fantastic. and. Being limited animation, they use the same water every single time. <laughs> every single time. But it was done on the ones. It was rotoscope from some film. And so it, it looked really, really beautiful going by. I tried to simulate water using uh, uh, particle effects, some kind of computer uh, hopery. And it just it doesn't work. It never works the way I wanted to. You, you have to come back to the old standard of doing it frame by frame to get water to look nice. Um, that is until, you know, the Little Mermaid, and they started doing water there. And uh, even even now, uh, water is very, very difficult for 3D animators as well. And now you hear a lot of, like, Unreal Engine 5, I believe they're at, or they're doing 6, where it just becomes more and more realistic. And we're... I'm, I'm excited to see the future of animation, honestly. I know very little about it, but it looks beautiful to me. And it's not just the visual aspect that pleases me. It's the story behind it and the creative process. So when I looked at your work, I love the creative process that went behind it. And you can feel the passion. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I do think, yeah, I, I think Unreal Engine 5 is probably going to play a part in uh, animation in the years to come. There's a lot of uh, video games that you've seen uh, recently. Um, that have uh, actually some that have been announced this week. Uh, there's a lot of video game news happening, but uh, um, that have that 2D style. I think it was Street Fighter. There's uh, the, the characters are reminiscent of pen and ink drawings, and that is done procedurally. The shading, the pen and ink shading on the characters through coding in the uh, in the programs, and it's getting to a point where you can use 3D to make 2D animation uh, that feels like 3D. So it's 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 just going to be a game changer, just like it is with uh, television shows like uh, Mandalorian. The first season, I believe, used uh, the Unreal Engine to uh, uh, create uh, what they call the volume, which would be the entire backdrop. And so that you had this interactive lighting that would um, immerse the characters, the, the real-life people, uh, acting around them and they could see what it is without having to work on a green screen. And it just, it just helps you without having to composite in, in post, you capture everything in camera, which is ideally what you would like to do when you're filming anything. So you take the Unreal Engine and the character dynamics and you take the physical actors out of the equation and you have these uh these motion capture banks now where you can purchase different uh movements so you don't have to have the actors actually do that you just use voice actors and 
you throw the filters on to make it look like a cartoon and you could have, you know, your very own, um, you know, maybe bring back Saturday morning cartoons. We are in exciting times when it comes to animation. And I honestly cannot <laughs> wait to see where everything takes creative people, including yourself. So there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Daniel, for sharing your passion of animation and, of course, triggering my onset barrage of barrage, probably the right word, of questions. And I, even though I said it was the last one, I apparently do not know the definition of the last one, but that was my last one. So if you guys would like to give some support to Daniel, go check him out. I'll put all the links down below so it'll be very easy to find. And if you'd like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you love the podcast and want to show some support you can by leaving a review buying merchandise and i am also working on a board game so that is in the works it's this stage i don't know i'm doing a little bit of illustration myself not not as much animation but illustration so i'm we just uh, very very low level daniel's all the way up high i'm down there so i'm trying to reach daniel's level eventually uh but yeah so in the meantime while i'm working on that what you do need to do is go show daniel some love so daniel once again thank you so much for coming on uh, thanks for having me on it's been a pleasure so until the next episode make some time for your hobby take care